Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. Today we have Matt, Tracy, and myself, and John finally let me out of the stew pot. I don't know what I did to anger him, but he finally let me back out. Today, we're going to talk about his head gnome-in-chief, John's article called Directing the Camera from last month. Before we dive into that, though, let's ask our get-to-know-a-gnome question. Matt, Tracy, what movie or TV series coming out this year are you most looking forward to? Hands down for me, it's Black Panther. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I am so excited to see a movie that is explicitly not made for me. That is still going to be amazing. <laughs> that is still going to tie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's it's going to be fantastic. And the fact that people who are not white get to, to look at this and see themselves represented in this way, in such a mainstream forward way, is just amazing. And I'm I'm really excited for it to come out. I actually already have my tickets for it. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> uh, how about you, Matt? Well, so I'll, I'll kind of play off the same themes as Tracy, but in a bad way. And uh, I'm not generally a TV or movie kind of person, but I am really looking forward to BoJack Horseman Season 5. <laughs> it's horrible in the best possible way. If you enjoy just being emotionally crushed every 30-minute episode, I, I recommend it. Uh, but to tie into Tracy's themes... The creator has recently gone on social media and addressed the fact that its cast and crew and, and everyone are very white. And so he says, well, he would cast differently today, but it didn't happen that way. So I'm not supporting social justice with this one, but I like it anyway. <laughs> How about you, Ange? I am actually also really looking forward to Black Panther. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited about all the Marvel movies coming out this year. I'm a Marvel kid. I've loved the Marvel stuff. I've enjoyed all of the Marvel movies. So I'm looking forward to Infinity War. And I was I was pretty excited to see the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer drop earlier this week. But Black Panther is the one I'm really looking forward to. Somebody posted a cast photo and the amazing costumes and the really fierce female characters they've got. And somebody was saying, we need dolls of these. And I I quickly did a search and found out they already have action figures of Shuri, Nakia, and Okayo. I haven't heard her name said out loud, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But she's one of his guards. And just, there's already action figures out there, and I want them all. Now, are those the, the Funko Pops that seem to be cropping up after everything? Or are they actually legit action figures? Legit action figures. Cool. It looks like Shuri, his sister, and Nakia, his, I think she's his love interest. She's still a badass. Those are the two easiest ones to find. But still, I was really excited to see those because Marvel has not been the best with releasing action figures of the female characters. So it was really cool to see those. Anyway, let's move on to our topic of discussion. Last month, John posted an article talking about narration technique for GMs to call out directing the camera as if it were seen straight out of a movie. For a brief moment, it pulls the players out of the space of being the actors and into being the audience. And in some ways, it can function like a cutscene in a video game. 
pausing the action to provide information or move the story to another point or just reinforce that feel that you're going for in, in whatever game you're running. And I thought it would be interesting to... Uh, actually, Matt asked talk, to talk about this one, and it should be an interesting one to discuss. So, Matt, why did you ask to bring this one up? Well, I was reading it earlier, and it reminded me... I like all the, the points John talks about, but it reminded me of an article that I wrote, oh God, back in 2010 which was about parallel stories, which I ruthlessly stole from an old White Wolf Game Master book talking about doing parallel games and parallel timelines. And I thought, man, wouldn't this cinematic technique of the camera be awesome for taking the players at the table and then moving the camera to happening right now are the bad guys and you get to see like the evil mastermind and his hench people and and you really you're kind of getting the plot even though you don't know the plot and so you know there, there'd be like some issues with metagaming and such but we're all mature adults and i think that'd be a cool way to kind of provide additional backstory story stuff like that yeah I, i've used this technique for a while now i forget when i first saw someone do it in a game. It was probably on an actual play podcast that I was listening to. And it really resonated with me because I think it does a couple of different things really effectively. One, especially for new players, we all watch TV and movies for the most part. Mm -hmm. And we're all used to how visuals are presented in those in those mediums. So when you say the camera pans in and we see we're flying over a city skyline and in the middle of the frame is a single window called out in this large skyscraper. And as we get closer, the field comes into view and you can see blah, 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 right? And you start describing the scene. Everyone is immediately comfortable with that presentation of narrative because we're all used to it. Mm -hmm. And then rather than pulling people out of the, the frame, at least in my experience, it does exactly what you were talking about, Matt. It sort of gives a clear dividing line between what you as a player know in fiction and what your characters know in fiction and framing it that way, I think, makes it a lot easier to not metagame as a player. Because when you're presented with it like a movie, in movies as viewers, we often know things that the characters in the movies don't, right? We get mm -hmm. scenes of the bad guys doing whatever, and that informs us as, as viewers. And I think that when players are thinking of their characters as actors in a movie and not actors in the classical sense, but you know they're the people who can take action in the game. It allows them to really inhabit that character space and make it resonate with what they expect a character like theirs would do because they've had it all framed for them cinematically. It's also great when players take that control of themselves as well to describe their own actions. I've had players mm -hmm. say, how do you kill the bad guy, right? And they say, well, the, the camera zooms out and all you see is this, this wide anime shot and the little flash of light as the bad guy dies in epic fashion. And then it cuts back to my character. It, it just, it's a really, really <laughs> great way for people to express narrative control through a, a language that we all sort of understand just because we've watched so much damn TV. <laughs> I find it can also be really useful in helping draw newer players into the story of the game because newer players still have that same foundational 
understanding of movies and TV and some of those tropes that we see every day in those things. I, this past Friday, ran masks for my friends, teenagers, and their friends. And it was the season finale of the game because we were going to put that one to bed for a while and play some D&D for uh, a change of pace. And I started it out a little bit different than they're used to. I actually, they had been kidnapped by uh, the alien uncle of one of the characters and were all waking up in different parts of the spaceship. So to basically kind of bring them into the story, I, I described it very much like a scene from a TV series or a movie where you'd get a little scene with one character and then smash cut to a scene with another character. And they were confused at first, but when I started adding those cinematic descriptions in of scene changes and, and whatnot, they all kind of got it and were able to roll with it and not be too caught up in the, but I'm not getting to do anything for a time because we're focused on those folks. It really does help draw them in and, and get them to understand kind of the nature of what the game is. Because sometimes people can have a little trouble grasping that when they're first stepping into the hobby. Yeah, it's a it's a tough hurdle to overcome sometimes, and the, it, it's it's one of those things where the GM can provide a narrative tool that the players can use, and so you're right that comfort is immediately there because they get what's going on, and they can start using those same terms to describe their own actions, which is somewhat easier than saying, "Well, I go and do this." If you're not used to embodying a character like that. Yeah, I had uh, one of the younger players, she's the youngest kid in the group, she's 12 now, and she was having a lot of trouble describing her character's actions. I'd go, okay, what's what's Winston doing? And she'd kind of pause and be like, uh, I, 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 I go, I guess I hit the bad guy? And I'm like, no, honey, honey, give me a description like you're writing a story like you're you're describing a scene in a movie oh and then it was i got a lot of uh i i do a karate kick to his face and whoosh and like just a whole bunch of sound effects but at least it was like she was starting to get into it even if the words weren't quite coming out yet it seems like it, this technique is also a good opportunity to frame the game as a spectator sport so that, you know, especially in a lot of the traditional role-playing games, there's a lot of, okay, I rolled my dice now, I'm waiting, and it's not my turn, not my turn, not, okay, now I go again. Whereas with something like this, you're almost reminding people that, hey, this is something you watch. And so then it's like, oh, what, what does the other player do? You know, so it can kind of bring it into that light. Something Tracy said made me want to read a quote from the All Flesh Must Be Eaten book. All Flesh Must Be Eaten has a pre-gen character called the Video Store Clerk, and I want to read you his section on personality and quote, and it's a couple paragraphs, so I, I'll just, you know, natter on for a bit. You ever see that trick they do with the zoom and dolly cam? You know, where the dolly pulls out as the lens zooms in, makes the guy in the middle of the frame look as if the whole world is collapsing in around him? That's what it felt like the first time I saw the undead coming at me. Let me set the scene. Was working at the late shift at Newton Plaza. Business had been quiet, what with all the wandering gang rampaging. Police were pretty tight-lipped about it. Was all very assault on Precinct 13. Anyway, I hear a squee noise. Then many squee noises. Like someone running their sweaty palms over a plate glass window. I look around and I see lots. I mean dozens of people pressed against the store windows. And then these folks do not look healthy. Was something out of a Fulci film. 
Couldn't move until the glass shattered. Then I booked, but fast. I was like Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man. When I got home, the zombies were moving up the stairs of my apartment building. I headed them off at the pass by using the elevator. It was a long shot, but I had to save my Doctor Who collection, not to mention my girlfriend. <laughs> Quote, I had to choose, save my girlfriend or my Doctor Who collection. I know Jenny would have understood. The survivors will thank me when it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it reminded me of this guy who, as a player, takes this entire concept and makes it his shtick, which would be awesome <laughs> if you're a big enough movie buff to pull it off, which I am not but I would love to see it. Yeah, that would be fun to see. I do think it's it's important to understand as a GM in using this technique, you can't use this to take the control away from the players. Right. When when Matt started talking about it being a spectator sport, I think the danger can be in the GM pulling that control too tightly with their narration and treating the players as spectators rather than active participants. Whereas what Matt was actually talking about is getting the players to be spectators of each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you are a GM with a tendency towards railroading, be very careful about this. Yeah, it's, it's a tool in your toolbox. It's not the way that all information should be communicated because we have to continually shift modes as a GM. Like mm -hmm. we have to be able to frame scenes and frame shots or however you want to say it like this. We have to be able to deliver in-game information and actual game terms like damage amounts and hit points and actual mm -hmm. rules-based stuff. And then we have to leave that room for the players to have their own narration and action. And for me, this way of framing scenes with the camera directions is a way to get players set up in a, in a manner in which they feel comfortable to then take over the narrative control. Mm -hmm. So, you know... The, the shot zooms in on your character and you're crouched behind a set of boxes in the warehouse and the camera pans around and you can see the robo droids are busy loading up whatever they're loading up into Dr. X's crates. What do you do? Yeah. And, and then from there, it's all theirs. I like what you did right there where it's that player's turn and you kind of did a mini recap of, you know, you could just assume everybody at the table remembered, of course that he's crouching behind the crates watching the robo-droids, but you're kind of doing a story of the film so far and describing that, and it kind of adds like an urgency to it. I like it. It's very useful. Yeah, I, I find that using the camera, you know, the camera pan or the change is also a good way to handle scene transitions because mm -hmm. sometimes players can get bogged down in the minutia of a scene and just be trying to handle every single little thing when really what you need to do is get to the next scene. And I find if I do this, you know, we're going to have a quick montage scene. You know, I did this with the kids on Friday. I'm like, okay, we're going to have, rather than having to play out moving you through the corridors of this ship and every little obstacle you're going to come across, because, you know, as, as you get to the shuttle bay, we're going to have a quick montage of scenes where you guys run into this and you run into that. And then you're to the shuttles. And now what do you do to basically just kind of speed things along? So you're not kind of mired in the minutia of some stuff. Mm. Do you guys feel that this, this works with every type of game or there's some games where this works better with than others? I know I have thoughts on this, but. For me, it's an every game thing because I like the framing of what we're doing in a cinematic nature. I enjoy cinematic mm -hmm. type role playing. 
I like my characters to take larger than life actions and be big badass heroes, assuming that that's the genre or to really just embody whatever genre of game we're playing and using camera direction allows me to convey that. So yeah, I use it all the time. Yeah, I think you would have to find, and I don't know what it would be, a genre that there is a role-playing game of that there is not a movie or TV genre of. <laughs> and, and I suppose, like, technically, there are some weird-ass subgenres of RPGs, but even then, you're still looking at, uh, what, situation comedy. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, does this technique include a laugh track? <laughs> I, I've I've run games where uh, it's reality TV style, and we actually have the characters can cut away like a producer interviewing that one character off camera or off scene. Oh, that's hilarious. Where they can say, I have no idea what was going on here, but I just rolled with it. And then we cut back to the action. Didn't, didn't you include that in an article you wrote recently? Mm-hmm. Yep. That was one of the uh, cinematic framings for Diners, Dungeons, and Dives. That's awesome. I do think there are some games that lend themselves to this type of narration technique a little easier than others. I, it's, I do agree with you both that it can be used in any game that has any sort of cinematic connection. And I can't think of any that don't. But like the Powered by the Apocalypse games that I like to run, Masks, Monster of the Week, Uncharted Worlds, you know, I easily find myself grabbing onto these techniques to narrate the game. And I often frame the way the game is set up based on the TV shows that those games are inspired by. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I'm running Monster of the Week, it's like, it's your Buffy, it's your X Files. I give them those frames so that when I start pulling in those tropes, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Cool. So any last thoughts on directing the camera as a narration technique in role-playing games? I feel like we covered it. So now that we've wrapped up our talk on directing the camera, it's time to give a special thanks to our Patreon backers, awesome gnome supporters like Matthew Arbo, Jennifer Kathleen, and Bob's mom, the awesome Carla Everson. Thanks to their help and others like them, this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad brought to you by the Gnomes Take Hollywood, the upcoming blockbuster by a director in a pointed hat you've never heard of and a studio that's trying desperately to be like Disney. You can find all of us on GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and on GnomeStew on Facebook. Tracy, Matt, where else can we find you on the internet? Wait, 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 wait. I have a further question. Uh Uh-huh. Is Carla Everson, Bob's mom, backing us because she likes our content or just because it's something Bob's doing? (laughs) Doesn't matter. I I don't think it matters. She's been one of our supporters for the... I think she is one of our original uh, Patreon supporters. Well, thank you, Carla, and thank you all of our other backers. So, Tracy, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the other Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, and my website is TheOtherTracy.com, and you can listen to my actual play podcast, The Other Cast. Ooh, what are you playing in, the, in that? Currently, we are wrapping up a Star Wars Edge of the Empire game. We have a Planescape game run in Fate. We just finished the first arc of that last night, and we're transitioning over to uh, a new title for it called Sigil Noir, which is going to be awesome. And we are running a D&D game called the Zekro Span. That sounds awesome. Matt, I know the answer to this question, but is there anywhere else we can find you on the internet? Not really. How about you, Edge? (laughs) (laughs) 
You can find me at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13 on Twitter and pretty much anywhere in the misdirected Mark communities on G+. So, do you think we avoided the stew this week, guys? The camera pans over the cauldron and we see all kinds of components and ingredients bubbling up in there and it cuts back and we see matt tracy and Ange standing contentedly as some other poor gnome gets diced up and tossed in because we are not for the stew this week and cut